All right. Welcome to episode two of 1530. I wanted to start off with the statistic of the day. 35 is the number. 35 straight points to be exact were won on Roger Federer's serve. That's right, his serve, not just his first serve, and all 20 points on his first on his serve in general in the second set. It was snapped at 4-1, 30 love in the third. And this was, I believe, his third round match. So pretty incredible stat. It's pretty difficult to win those 35 points in a row. But Matt, before we get into Mr. Federer and his his fall, what were your thoughts on Wimbledon? Uh, it was it was interesting. I was expecting something different than we've seen in the past, but it was not. Well, except for Fed. I guess he didn't make it to the finals, which he has in, he did not. Uh, pretty frequently. But I keep expecting these young guns to come up, and they can't do it. They won't do it. But it was good. We had a lot of old rivalries revived between Rafa and Joke. Yeah. It was good. A newish yeah. face. Anderson was, that was only a second time in the Grand Slam final. So, right. It's good to see him there. Yeah, it was, it was a good tournament. Like we talked about last time, the big servers, they did have their moment. Um, it wasn't necessarily who I expected, but yeah, Isner and Anderson did great. Um, and like you're saying, I was shocked too. I thought the young guns, the Zverevs and the Curiosos were going to go further. Zverev, to be fair, was battling some, uh, some sickness, but still, yeah, his Grand true. Slam record isn't very stellar. He he's won several masters, one thousands, but he just can't break through in the slams. And maybe he'll be a, a topic of further discussion. Why why he why maybe comparing his numbers, why he can't do it in the slams. Yeah. And so that's been disappointing. Um and yeah, like you mentioned, the the renewed rivalry. We had the Djokovic Nadal match, which you're gonna cover in detail later. You know, it's ten years, it's 2018, 10 years since the legendary final of Federer Nadal, Nadal finally breaking through and winning his first Wimbledon crown in 2008. And so I, was, uh, I think fans are a little bit hoping for a Federer Nadal final, but uh, neither of them came through. But we still had the, the epic match of Djokovic and Nadal. So that was, that was cool to see that rivalry renewed. But let's, let's, sure. let's, let's, let's talk about the king because he, you know, Federer was the defending champion. He had a 47% chance from at least ultimatetennisstatistics.com, and they, they forecast the matches of winning Wimbledon. Uh, they predict, of course, the French Opens of Victor Nadal. The second favorite, which you and I talked about, was Djokovic, which we kind of scoffed at, 18% chance. thought that was a little high for him to win Wimbledon. Uh, he did end up winning Wimbledon, as we know. Uh, I, I personally thought Chilich should have been slightly favored over Djokovic, especially him beating him at Queens, but I guess the model was pretty good. Um, let's see. So, you know, as we know in, in the sport of tennis, Besides maybe taking Rafa out on best of five sets and Roland Garros, beating Federer at Wimbledon is maybe the, the second most difficult thing to do in the sport. He wasn't at center court, but it didn't matter. Um, before the match, he had an 87% chance to win the match based on ultimate tennis statistics. Um, and it's only his third time to ever lose a match after being up two sets to love. Can you guess the other times? Do you know any of the other times that he's lost being up two sets to love? Uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head now. Yeah, I couldn't either. I looked back. So one of them actually was also at Wimbledon, interestingly enough, against oh. Songa in 2011. And then the other oh, time, yeah. Djokovic in that same year. 2000. So 2011, a little bit of a rough year. But I thought it was interesting. The other one was also on grass. And as we know, grass, the sets can get away from you if there's a quick break. <clears throat> and then the rest of the, 
the second go pretty fast because the the dominance of the serving. So, yeah, kind of a bummer. The the momentum. Fed even had a match point against uh, uh, Anderson and could have could have wrapped it up in straight sets. Um, so let's go back. Let's 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 go to the numbers. Let's see why this happened. You know, Federer just by watching it, he looked a little bit uncomfortable in the later sets, returning Anderson's serve, and he was shanking more forehands than he than I would normally have seen him, especially on grass. But the first set, he looked so dominant. He was attacking. So a few things to paint the picture here. Anderson has never won a, a set against Federer until until Wimbledon in the quarterfinals. Federer actually won five more points than Anderson over the course of the match. Of course, as we know, tennis isn't really like that. You could you could dominate in one set and lose in the other set and still lose overall, even though you won more points. Uh, there were 17 aces that Federer had, only one double fault, 69% first serves in, and 79% win percent on first serve. So those numbers are pretty dominant. 17 aces, those first serve and second in, uh, in percent one on the first serve points, those are just as good pretty much as his career at Wimbledon. Um, where things don't get as good is 59% one on second serve. That's like 7% lower than his career average. 72% net points one, that's also pretty good. But then also his receiving points, he won 7% less. Um, and again, break points, as we always talk about in the close matches, they matter. Federer only, he created 12 break points, but only converted two. Um, so it's only a 25% uh, uh, rate there. And then... For Anderson, it was four out of seven. So he converted those ones that he had. Um, and that's something, yeah. just jumping real quick. I, I think it's so interesting. I, when Fed loses, when he struggles, he I, he almost always struggles to convert. You can always almost see this stat, that he struggles to convert those those break points. Um, it's very characteristic <laughs> of Fed. I think it's unique to him in that. It, he just has these lapses in these matches. I mean, like you said, he had a, he has a match point in, in the third set, um, but he's unable to, to really close that out. I think that's interesting. Right, so. exactly, because, you know, some days when he loses, it's because he's having a bad serving day, but this this is not the case. Clearly, his numbers were were extremely good. He was not only getting his first serve in, but he was winning a majority of those first serve points. Like you're saying, it wasn't the serve, it was more the big moments, right? He couldn't really rise right. to that occasion. And I agree against over the years, Djokovic, 2011 was a great year to, to uh, a great example of that, right? He had match points. Um, in fact, on one of them, Djokovic hit an amazing uh, cross-court forehand on, on Federer. He couldn't do anything about that and kind of let those other moments slip by him. So yeah, I, I thought the same thing. And interesting looking at the momentum chart that Wimbledon.com had, um, basically just kind of showing like consecutive points one and basically the momentum of the set. And really Federer had momentum even in the sets that he was started losing, except for toward the end of sets, he kind of tailed off. And that's when Anderson was able to take over and obviously complete the break and win the set. So interesting as well, maybe a little bit of a, you know, a lapse in his focus. That's the part about tennis. You have to be focused on every point. I think Nadal is a great example about doing that. But maybe Federer just had the, the momentary lapse of focus there. But credit to Anderson because he uh, stayed around. So that was really good for him. What were you going to say? Absolutely. I was just going to say, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's probably one of the most frustrating things in tennis. It, it's, it makes it just so much more interesting to watch and to play but also so much more frustrating if this is what happens to you. It's just you can you can have better have a better match statistically in every other area, 
but if you're not converting your breakpoints, it, it's one point in the scheme of things, but it makes the whole difference in the match. And so it's, right. it's incredibly frustrating, but it also provides so much intrigue. Makes the match really interesting. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's, and that's exactly what you said. When I compared the numbers side by side for him and Anderson, if I wouldn't have known the set score, I would have thought Federer would have won, except for mm -hmm. maybe looking at break points. That's the one thing that maybe would have keyed me into. Uh, Federer didn't quite get it done. But like Shane, every other number there, and then aces, Anderson had 27 aces, which is quite a bit, 10 more. But right. every other point there, I'm like, oh, yeah, Federer's dominating, dominating. That just wasn't the case. Anderson uh, had that positive attitude, and he ultimately – his grit got him through and not just his serving. He returned pretty well um, also. So also wanted to kind of transition to talk about the keys of the match from IBM. Maybe you guys have seen it Maybe to our listeners when you are watching a match or more than likely on the internet, it shows uh, what the IBM believes the keys to the match are. I want to talk about kind of how reliably statistically, how reliably statistically are they statistical? Are they so they take into account, just give you a background. They take into account the player and the specific opponents. So they want to identify three keys for each player. Um, if the two players have met many times before, they can have data from the previous matches. But if they've only met a few times or not really at all, then they have to figure out, okay, based on playing styles and the surface, how can we use data to see what's going to be the turning point for the match? And so they use a ton of data. I have a little schematic here from them. So this is back, uh, published in 2012. So they... They've generated over 41 million data points analyzed for each match. They do it for all the Grand Slams. Um, back then, 2012, they had done it for eight years. They've analyzed over 8,000 matches. And they have different, 19 different offensive keys to the match, nine defensive, nine endurance, and nine styles. Eight styles, excuse me, which I thought was interesting. Um, kind of especially going into if they're going to be serve volley or if uh, they need to slow down the match more. And so... I just think it's very interesting, and and we could talk about it as we go into the match. But but what's what was interesting in Federer's match is for his keys to the match, he was twelve of fifteen on the match, and actually eight of nine on the last three sets that he lost. So according to IBM, Federer was hitting all those targets except for that one in the last three sets. Anderson was only five of fifteen on his keys to the match, and only three of nine on his last three sets. And so just uh, just something to kind of watch for. Um, on what those keys, what those keys really mean, because I mean those are the those are the statistics that IBM thinks is the most important. But uh, yeah, we, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Any any thoughts on the IBM uh, stats there, Matt? Yeah, I think it's interesting if you go and look at them. Um, you may have mentioned this earlier, but they're they're not necessarily um, keys that you would. Um, that you would think of as in, oh, get this many first serves in or win this many second serve points. Those are certainly um, parts of it, but there are also keys that are, um, that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I think you mentioned that one of them was uh, for a different match, not the Federer match, but it was to wait longer between points and things of that nature. So uh, IBM is obviously used a lot of computer algorithms to try to figure out uh, more unique things. And I th I'm sure that there's, I'm sure there's some weight to them. Obviously we saw with the Federer match that, I mean, it's not a, it's not a sure thing that right. if they, 
connect all these points, then boom, they win the match. Um, there's still a human factor to it and more factors that play into it than just what IBM calculates. But Exactly. And, and, and I think part of it was just um, the two out of Federer's three keys were based on his serve. And we know that he served extremely well that day. The other one, which was interesting, which was a defensive one, was keeping the average speed of return shots below 59 miles per hour on second serve opportunities, which I thought was interesting when I tried to go back and forth on why that would be. Maybe just that if Federer got the ball back too fast that Anderson could use that pace to put it away because he was doing some mm. good one-two punches. But that was the only other key, and he did pretty good on that key. Uh, looks like he was um, four out of five on that one, but the other um, – the other keys were based on his serve, and he did well on. So I just thought that was interesting. And Anderson's were based on this, the height of his uh, kick serve and on his return points and on winning. This is my favorite key of the match, winning more than 80% of points when serving at 1530. Uh -huh. so part of the name. That's a very important point. Uh -huh. Anderson won three out of those five. So maybe that did prove to be the difference. The fifth set, he got that stat, or he – you achieve that key. So maybe there's something to 1530. So I think we'll transition from there on. What do we got? What do we That's got next, Matt? Take us to the semifinals. Oh, the semifinals. It was amazing and so sad. So we renewed the rivalry between Nadal and Djokovic. We can start with that. And we'll move on to Isner and Anderson after this. Um, I just want to throw some stats out there based on the fifth set. I mean, Obviously, they both had two sets by the time they got to the fifth set, so that was the decider, right? That's where everything mattered. It was for all the marbles. Um, and there are some interesting statistics that you can take away from this set. Um, notably, uh, Djokovic won more points on his first serve um, than, than Rafa. If we look at it, then you can see that Djokovic won 85%. He won 34 out of 40, whereas Rafa Nadal only won 75% of his first serve. And Joke won the second serve percentage as well. Um, he won 44% compared to 38%. So we saw that Djokovic was winning his, his own service games um, seemingly a little bit easier than Rafa Nadal. Um, I, I think by the fifth set in these Grand Slams, there's no tiebreaker, right? And so you're tired already, you're into the fifth set. I mean, they're going into four and five hours. When you can hold your serve easily, you can put all your effort into your second, uh, into your return game and trying to break, right? Which is mm -hmm. the point of the game. And especially in these fifth sets, you have to break or you, you just keep going. And so I think that contributed a significant amount to Joke's ability to overcome Rafa and and take it. You also look at the distance covered. Rafa Nadal, even in this fifth set, was still, he was moving more than Joke was. And so he was expending more energy doing that as well. Mm -hmm. And Rafa also had more unforced errors. He had 13 to Djokovic's eight. Um, so you see these these little signs that Rafa was maybe getting a little bit more tired than, than Djokovic. Um, he was coming off of that emotional win over Del Potro, which also went five sets. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, it, it did. Was long. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And so uh, my feeling is Nadal, as, as, as gritty as he is a player, I think wariness was getting to him a little bit. Djokovic was able to hold on there just a little bit longer and, and edge out. Um, yeah. Take the win. 
Definitely. Yeah, my thoughts. I thought it was I thought it was pretty spectacular tennis. Uh, both of them. It was. You, don't usually, you don't usually see Nadal go to the net that often, or even Djokovic, but they both had their moments when they could sneak into the net. Um, like you mentioned, great serving from Djokovic, gritty play from Nadal. He, the the times when he was taking control of the matches, when he was working that forehand, as you always know, up the line, and he right. was able to take that just like he does on clay. And then some of the times that late in the fifth set, he tried to hit that shot and it would curve wide or not quite go in. Um, just to step I, behind just a little bit slower. Exactly. Just barely the timing, right? So the timing on that, the French open, the clay, he's able to time that ball perfectly on the grass. It was a little bit trickier and Joko was able to move him around on the serve. But looking at the numbers, I, I didn't even notice the, the win percent on second serve, how terrible both of them way below 50%. Right. They were, they were both really low. Yep. So like you're saying, both of these really good returners, they were lining up for that second serve. So really that first serve. You want to get that in and you want to get it to control the point. Uh, my last my last comment on the match was just Djokovic just honestly being clutch. Um, watching the fourth and fifth set, I woke up and I saw Djokovic was down. Um, I, th- I believe it was a break point, 1540, and I'm like, oh, looks like yes. Djokovic is going to go down. And I came up for the fourth or fifth set, and then I saw him serve an ace, and then the next one was a service winner out wide. And, and, and he would just like saying, not, not only clutch, being big in those – you know, not letting the pressure get to him, but also having the serve to rely on, similar to a Federer um, at, at Wimbledon. I think that really helped Djokovic. But Nadal was right there. He was It was just a few points here or there. But like you're saying, I think yep. the fatigue did get to him a little bit. Yep. Well, and you bring up an interesting point. It, Rafa, at least in this fifth set, had the same struggles that Fed did. He had five chances to break, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that game. I, I had the same thought. Oh, this is it. Rafa's going to take the match. But, yep. um, yeah. Rafa went 0 for 5 in the fifth set on break points. And Joke took three chances, but he finally got one. That's all I needed. So Yeah. The, again, the break points, right? And these in these close matches, they determine really the match is 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 kind of the moral of the story that I've seen for both the Fed match and Djokovic Nadal. Yeah. I hear you. All right. So what do we got? Any more thoughts on Djokovic in that match? Uh, I think that's it. It's just uh, it's just amazing to see him come back to the pinnacle of the sport. I I wouldn't have thought, based on his French Open performance, that he was quite ready to take on Nadal at this level. But uh, I think he's back and mentally there and physically, obviously ready to play. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how real this is. It'll be interesting to see how the U.S. Open goes if he can carry that success over. Definitely. Or if he'll be challenged. So. Anderson. Right. So the next the next semifinal was Anderson and Isner. This was interesting. Um, I looked at who won each of these each of the stats. So to clue you in a little bit, I was simply looking at the uh, IBM again has what they call their slam tracker, and so they just have a few key stats um, like first serve percentage, um, the amount of Points one, the, the things that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Points one off the first serve, the second serve, break points, receiving points one, amount of winners and unforced errors, and a few other things. And I broke down these numbers for each set and who won what in each set. And, you know, in all honesty, um, even though this match went to five sets, Anderson had control of these numbers for... Pretty much every single one, especially you look at set four. Isner won this one, but mm-hmm. <laughs> number wise, he so he won 
four more second serve points than Anderson, and he had three fewer unforced errors than Anderson. Oh, I'm sorry, no. And he had oh, and he covered more area. So yeah, the only thing that he won was that he won more second serves. Anderson won everything else. And so, but he still won the set. So I, the point I'm trying to make, we talk about these numbers. There's always a human factor. Um, and it always comes down to one or two points. It always depends, you know, where these points are won because they're broken mm -hmm. down each set into six games. And so it's interesting to see that. Anderson had control of these points, of these numbers throughout each set. Isner was still able to pull two away from him and had a real chance to win the whole thing in the fifth set. But it came down to Anderson winning a few more, being just a little bit more clutch, winning a few more points than, than Isner. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, even though the, the numbers tilted toward Anderson, this was as close to match as you could get as far Absolutely. as, uh, you know, because yeah. like you're saying, Isner being at the big server, he, he can steal some of these tiebreak sets or the 7-5 sets and, and right. it was amazing to see how long it was. I, I had friends text me. They're like, oh, my gosh, are you watching this? People that don't even watch tennis were, were tuning in. <laughs> how crazy this match was and an American claim. But, uh, yeah, sure. a, a pity that both these guys, you know, who, no matter who won the match, they were going to be super big disadvantage going to the final. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if it had been the U.S. Open with the fifth set tiebreak, you know, maybe it could have been a different story for Anderson on Sunday against Djokovic. But until they change the rule, this, these top servers are going to have to try to get through get some yep. breaks. But uh, my only other thought is just um, you're talking about the win percent on second serves. Talk about this is one of the big keys in tennis, right? Uh, the first sure. serve is where you can surprise your opponent. The second serve, people are looking to tee up. They're looking to, to be aggressive on the return. And so if you're anywhere above 50%, you're probably in a good, at least in a, an okay spot. Um, but Anderson, he was, he was stellar. He was 62%. Uh, points one on second serve and, and Isner was below that 50% threshold. He was at 43%. So 19% difference on second serve point. Yeah. I would definitely just looking at that number alone would say Anderson would win. Yeah. Like you're saying he, he had the numbers advantage, but just on some of those tight sets, he couldn't quite get it done in fewer than five. Right. And so credit yeah. to Isner for hanging in there, even though Absolutely. Anderson number wise did play an excellent match. Yep. Agreed. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, even Federer, talked about it after his loss to Anderson of how solid Anderson was hitting from the baseline. Um, he's really improved his game to be more than just a serve, which is great to see from a big man. And Isner's getting to that point. He talked about uh, recently how he was able to overcome those, that pressure that he felt on the court and really free up. And you can see that in his game that he's, he's hitting much better and he's become more than just a serve, which I think is a tribute to why he made it so far in Wimbledon. Um, right, but I think at the end of the day, the numbers showed, and Anderson truly was his ground strokes were complementing his serve very well. So. Exactly. I mean, this is not a fluke, right? He made the U.S. Open final last right. year, and now the Wimbledon final. And and like you're saying, he's not just a big serve; he has great one-two punch. Um, the forehand is huge, and he does come to net as well when he needs to. Um, Going to the IBM keys of the match, Isner was 10 out of 15 throughout the five sets for his three um, particular keys to the match. But two of the three were based on his first serve. And so he was able to win all of those. The other one was based on winning more than 28% on first serve return points 
interestingly. Anderson also had that for his key. He didn't quite meet that wicket in any of the sets, but Anderson was only 6 out of 15 on his keys to the match. The other key to the match was keeping the average spread of return shots below 58 miles per hour on second serve opportunities. Again, that, another stat that maybe I need to look do more research on, but again, probably just so you're not sending the ball as fast over so that the server can use that pace to put the ball away one-two punch. But yeah, interesting. The keys to the match there again, I maybe would have thought that would have been for, for Anderson or for Isner, excuse me, not for Anderson, but yeah, yeah. They, they again told an opposite story, but this was again, another, another very close match. So. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, it's a game of inches, especially these players are, were all playing extremely well at the height of their games and they were all very close matches. So yeah, it's a matter of a few points. Exactly. Um, go back to Federer for a second as a Federer fan wanted to also put out. So 538 put out an article. Um, I believe it was the day before he lost or two days before he lost talking about how when Federer wins the first point on his serve, it's usually game over. So talking about how important that first point is for Federer being at 15 love it showed through this year in 2018, um, through 278 games, he had 270 wins for a win rate of 97%. Wow. Um, the only ones that were higher, or no, no one else was higher, excuse me, but Isner was close with 96%. Chilich was 95.5. Anderson, 93.3. So funny to see Isner and Anderson, the top of the list, Nadal, 93%, Delpo, 92, and so on. But Interesting. Now they're talking about how if Federer serves well and wins the first point, he pretty much never loses, and maybe that maybe that doomed him a little bit, jinxed him. But I just thought that was interesting. Five thirty eight, another that great is. statistical website, putting that stat about Fed. I read it. I'm like, yeah, I think he's doing. Uh, he has a great shot for Wimbledon, but it was not to be. Anderson was Anderson was too good. Um, yeah. Let's see. So we covered our semifinals that were. Exciting. The final a little bit uh, disappointing like last year's with Chilich and Feder. It was a little bit uh, just mm-hmm. truncated compared to our, our semifinals there. Any other fun matches that uh, you enjoyed watching throughout the, the fortnight of Wimbledon? Uh, I, I think I enjoyed the Del Potro-Rafa match more than any match um, during this tournament. That was fantastic tennis. Two fantastic players. Uh, so, don't have many numbers on that, but... yeah. That was one that was just fun to watch. It's just pure fun. No, I agree. That was so fun. The two great players, and obviously, always love to watch Nadal. He was, he was definitely great to watch. Yeah, he, it's just, it, it's just crazy to me that he can be down to love, <laughs> two sets to love. He has more grit, I think, than almost any other player that's ever played this game. You can never count him out, and he almost plays better when he's down. It's yeah. just incredible to watch him. He's not afraid to take the the shots that need to be made, and he makes huge plays. It's it's crazy to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely his focus as well. Like you're saying, point in, point out. He never, uh, you know, lets his lets his mind wander. He's just in the point, even no matter what the score is, whether he's down, you know, love forty or up forty, love. He uh, he plays the game the right way, which which is definitely respectable. A um, couple other shout-outs here for matches. I, I enjoyed the Zverev-Fritz uh, match. That I, I think Taylor Fritz is a great up-and-coming talent. That was a fun five-setter. Um, it was disappointing. Shapapolov, the Canadian, he's been a oh, pretty yes. fun player to watch. He, he got ousted by, by pair in the second, uh, second round. But, yeah, so many, fun, so many fun players. And so 
it's a it's a bummer, but I guess we we still have one more Grand Slam to go for the year. So we sure do. More to come Fun's there. Not over I'm yet. Excited. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah. So just to give you guys some uh, a preview into some of our future episodes, we want to discuss the concept of Elo and how it relates to tennis, um, especially for an individual game. It's it's easy to to compare different ratings and want to talk about what those ratings mean and how how that can help you better understand the game of tennis and what other sports use it and also what some of the flaws are as well as looking forward. We're done with the grass court season. So looking forward to this uh, hard court swing in, in the U S and in Canada and who some of the favorites are for that. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, anything that you want to add, Matt, any, any last statistics here? Uh, I think that's everything. All right. Well then we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll see you guys on the court.